And they came again to Jerusalem. And the they is Jesus and his disciples. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But we, but shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. Verse 33. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Verse 3. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in his eyes. Verse 12 of chapter 12 and they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them so they left him and went away and went away let's pray god thank you so much for your faithfulness to us this morning as we spend time studying the life of Jesus specifically his encounter with the religious leaders and his parable about the vineyard and the tenants give us eyes to see who you are and how you've called us to live before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You turn up the mic a little. Thanks. Verse 27 says, And they came again to Jerusalem, 
And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Currently, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. While most Jews currently are in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover Passover festival, Jesus is in the holy city to suffer and die. In a matter of days, he's going to be disowned by his closest friends and his disciples. He's going to be falsely accused, arrested and imprisoned, and then put to death, death by crucifixion. And on his first day in Jerusalem, which we looked at last week, Jesus ended up causing quite a stir. He entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over tables, he kicked over chairs, there were animals being sold for the sacrifices, and Jesus just went crazy and just threw and drove out everyone and everything. By Jesus' actions, with Jesus' actions, what he was doing was standing up for the sanctity of the temple. That's what took place yesterday in the life of Jesus in Jerusalem. Today, Jesus is back in the temple. And because of what took place yesterday, all eyes are on him. And you can imagine this, okay? Jesus comes back to the temple and people are like, isn't that that guy? Isn't that that rabbi who started kicking and flinging every... Isn't that him? And so all eyes are on Jesus. After what happened yesterday, many are wondering what he's going to do today. And as he's walking through the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders who were the religious leaders of the day stop him and ask him this question. Verse 28, look at verse 28. They say, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? In other words, what they're saying is Jesus Hey, hey, Jesus, what you did yesterday was totally unacceptable. All right? So it's unacceptable. Who do you think you are? What right do you have um, to act in this way? Who sent you? Who are you working for? Who do you think you are? What right do you have to do these things? Now... On the surface, this, this, this seems like a very reasonable question, okay? These scribes and religious leaders are kind of the leaders of the temple. And so it seems like a reasonable question. They're very much like, hey, you kind of came into our house and you wrecked our house, okay? It's like, think about this. It's like me walking into your house and starting to just move furniture from everywhere, right? Imagine if I did that. You invited me over for dinner and I just walked in and started going, all right, that sofa doesn't really look good there. You need to move that there. The TV, you can't see, you know, and I just started, you would think, who do you think you are, 
right? I know you're this guy who has a British accent and everything, right? I know you are, but like, who do you think you are? That's how you'd react. And so that's kind of what's going on there. They're like, who do you think you are? What authority do you have to do these things? And so their question seems really reasonable. And so they want to know what right Jesus has. But at the core of their question is something far more sinister. Ever since Jesus appeared on the scene and began to gain popularity, the religious leaders of his day have been on a mission to tarnish his reputation. But the more they tried, the more Jesus succeeded. They just couldn't stop Jesus. They became so frustrated by failed attempt after failed attempt. They went from simply trying to tarnish his reputation to plotting his murder. And so at this particular moment, they are looking for every opportunity every opportunity to kill Jesus and by asking him this question about authority they're actually looking for legal justification to execute him Jesus is in a very dangerous situation indeed he's one answer away from being arrested and sentenced to death the question is will he bite the bait Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Very interesting. Jesus doesn't directly answer their question. In fact, he answers their question with a question. And what question is that? He says, was the baptism, look at verse 38, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Jesus answers your question with a question. And the religious leaders kind of receive this question with a sense of optimism. I can imagine them kind of hearing the question and hearing how Jesus responded and thinking, oh, like, why did he? But anyway, oh, like, oh, we know John the Baptist. We kind of know who John the... And so they've kind of received the question with a sense of optimism. But the more... They think about it and discuss it amongst themselves, the more they realize it's a bit of a trick question. Look at verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? In other words, they're like, If we say John is legit, and John is actually from God, right? Like Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe John? Because John actually affirmed that I was the Messiah. Verse 32. And then they say, but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for the, all held that John really was the prophet. And so they're like, if we say John is not legit and he's not the real deal and he's not from God that means we're saying he's from man and everything he did was kind of a humanistic thing and everything and they're like if we say that the people are not going to be happy because the majority of the people are very much like John is from God 
And so after discussing it amongst themselves, they chose not to respond to Jesus' question. Look at verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. We do not know. In other words, what they're saying is, we do not know, but we're afraid to say it. And by refusing to answer, they are choosing to remain neutral. They're trying to play it safe. And so Jesus says to them, look at the end of verse 33. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The religious leaders' unwillingness to answer reveals Jesus' superior wisdom and exposes them as hypocrites and fraudulent leaders. Jesus had every right right now. To just drop the mic, right? And just walk away. But he doesn't. He stays, and what he does next is absolutely brilliant. He exposes what is really going on in their heart, and he does so with a parable. What are parables? Parables are stories that communicate biblical truth or spiritual truth through earthly um, things. Okay, look at verse one. It says, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country, right? Um, we have a kind of a basic understanding of what a vineyard is, right? I think for most of us living here, what we know about vineyards is kind of something up north in Napa or something like that. If you know, you know, right? Like this winery that we go to or what we know about vineyards is where the bottle of wine in our home came from right it came from this vineyard that's all we know but most Jewish citizens were very familiar with the wine industry they just were they knew how grapes were grown and then processed into wine and so this parable like all of Jesus's parables was based on something they were all very familiar with it's about a man who started a winemaking business he invested in all the equipment needed for a successful business, right? He developed the st- he developed this storage unit to store the juice. After it was pressed, he built a wall to keep out wild animals and constructed a tall tower so that the workers can go in it and keep watch and have a place to stay. And after the launch of his business, he employed tenant farmers to oversee his vineyard before moving to another country. In Jesus's day. It was very common for businessmen to start businesses and then entrust it to others to manage while they live outside of the proximity where the business is. And the job description for these tenants in the vineyard was simply to cultivate and steward the land. That was what they were called to do. Another thing that's really interesting about this Okay, many of Jesus's listeners would have been familiar with uh, the fact that the imagery of a vineyard is often a reference to Israel. And so as soon as he begins to tell 
this story, this parable, the religious leaders know exactly what he's referencing. And so he continues. Look at verse verse 2. It says, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And as he sent these tenants... He had the hopes that they would come back with the percentage that belonged to him. But his plan didn't go the way he expected. When his servant arrived on the farm and requested the share of the crop that belongs to the owner, he was denied. The tenants outright outrightly refused to honor the request of the owner and to make matters worse his servant was not only rejected but they beat him and sent him away back to the owner empty-handed the owner he wasn't certain what exactly happened and so what he decides to do is send what another servant right to go back to the vineyard for the same purpose of gathering and collecting the share of the harvest Again, the second servant was also mistreated, right? Verse 4 lets us know that what do they do? The tenants struck him, right, and treated him shamefully. Verse 5, and he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. And so what's happening here is absolutely outrageous, right? And this owner is sending back his servants To go and get what rightly belongs to him. And every person he sent. Every one of his servants and workers he sent. They get there and they're either beaten up or killed. By the tenants he put in charge of his vineyard. What's happening here is unbelievable. It's absolutely outrageous. Think about this. If you were the owner, what would you do? Put yourself in his shoes. Would you keep sending servants back over and over? And absolutely not. You wouldn't do that. If I was the owner, I would be like, the first time it happens, I would like contact the nearest mafia I knew. And I would like be there with guns and all going, what is happening here? And and, and, I I would, I'd call the cops. I should have said I'd call the cops or something like that. Talking about mafia, where are we? Are we at church? Is this coming from me? Oh my gosh. What would you do? Would you keep sending servants? And if you had sent five plus servants and they all, some of them came back battered and bruised. Some of them didn't even come back because they were killed. What would you do next? What did this owner do? What he does next is shocking. Totally unexpected. It's like the main, it's a total twist. If you, if we hadn't read this story before and we were reading it and it came in the form of a 
kind of a Netflix series and it ended with kind of like, you know, the fifth servant being killed or battered, I bet that you guys would want to watch the next episode. And as you were kind of transitioning to watching the next step you'll be thinking man like i know what he's gonna do he's gonna get real angry right and he's gonna go in there and destroy everything but that's not what he does next there's a twist in this plot um he's unwilling to give up right um and so he decides to try one more time. He sends another one of his representatives, and here's the twist. This time round, he decides to send not another serv- servant, right? But he decides to send his most valuable asset, and it's his very own son. Look at verse 6. It says, He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. Okay? They will respect my son. Back in those days, sons were heirs, right? Like, it was a big deal to have a son. And so he's very much like, because he's my son, they're going to respect him and listen to him. Again, uh, after how his servants have been mistreated, personally, in my opinion, this decision sounds very unwise. What is he thinking? Why would he be so naive as to send his only son after the abuse of his servants? How could he possibly think they would now respect his son? This is not how you would expect the story to go. There is no way... I would send more servants, let alone my son, after everything that has happened. What is he thinking? What is he doing? And so, when his son arrives on the vineyard and introduces himself to the tenants, I think they may have initially been like, oh, wow. Wow, he sent his son and they may have possibly warmly welcomed him with open arms and respect. But it didn't take long before they began to conspire against him. Look at verse 7. This is so sinister. Look at verse 7. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be Hours. This is irrational thinking. They're very much like, let's kill the son of the owner. And if we get rid of him, he's going to consider us when it comes to inheriting his vineyard. Unbelievable. Doesn't make sense. As irrational as their plan, they convince each other that it's the right thing to do. And so verse 8, they took him, the, the, the owner's son, and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus then concludes the story by raising the obvious question and then providing the expected answer. Look at verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? 
That's what Jesus is asking. It's an obvious, it's an obvious question. Here's the expected answer. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. He then quotes from Psalm 118, 22 to 23, using it to support for, um, um, for what he just said in verses 10 and 11. And there's, there's a lot going on here with that. There's a lot going on here with verses 10 and 11 and Jesus quoting a psalm and everything like that. But, this parable in the audience listening to it the religious leaders it didn't need any explanation as the religious leaders listened they knew exactly what the parable was about they knew that the owner was god the vineyard was israel that is god's people the servants were the prophets which includes john the baptist the son was of course jesus and they were the wicked conniving tenants jesus shared this parable to confront the sinful motives of his opponents the religious leaders to reveal for all to see who they truly are to reveal the depths of evil that resides in their hearts they may appear to be pious to be devoutly religious but inwardly are as lethal as poisonous snakes there's something about this parable that filled the religious leaders with hostility they 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 had i think got to the tipping point really hating Jesus but after this parable they were livid they were angry they grew to hate Jesus more to the fact that they were willing to do anything to get rid of him there are so many truths and lessons we can gain and draw from this parable here are several. As we seek, that is, if you're here and you're a Christian, as we seek to make Jesus known in this city, in America's finest city, San Diego, we will come across people that are actively opposed to God, just like the tenants that have an outrageous hatred towards Jesus. You see, the religious leaders, like the tenants in this story, went from disliking Jesus to hating Jesus so much so that they became obsessed with seeing Jesus murdered. One author said there is something about Jesus that animated the darkest parts of their hearts. And I'm sure in a room of this size, some of you may know people or may have come across people that are angry and bitter and hostile towards Jesus. 
their blood begins to boil every time Jesus is mentioned. They want nothing to do with Jesus and Christianity. You've done everything to share with them the good news of the gospel. The very fact that God through the death of his son Jesus Christ died for them and you've done your best to love them with all that you have and are. But... The more you love them, the more you extend grace, the more you share Jesus, the more they become hostile towards him. Second, the owner's decision to send his son may seem like he lacks good sense or judgment. Okay, and we talked about that. Just doesn't make sense. After everything that has happened to his son, why is he sending his sons? Doesn't make sense. But Jesus tells this story not just to expose the hard-heartedness of the religious leaders and their outrageous hatred towards God, but Jesus tells this story to also communicate God's unbelievable grace and patience towards sinners. One author puts it this way, the unrealistic behavior of the landowner, listen to this carefully, right? The unrealistic behavior of the landowner and the tenants in the imagery of the parable corresponds exactly with the unrealistic but true behavior of the God of Israel. What some may criticize as absurd and unrealistic is in reality the unconceivable, amazing grace of God. God's grace is truly amazing. It's unbelievable it doesn't make sense that a holy and righteous god would relentlessly and radically pursue his rebellious people the way he does it doesn't make sense for god to send his beloved son jesus christ to die for us so that we may be forgiven of our sins and receive the gift of eternal life and enter into a true and lasting relationship with the God of the universe. It just doesn't make sense. God's grace is truly amazing. It's possible that some of you here this morning are resisting God's grace. For a while now, similar to the tenants, you've been kind of putting up walls and resisting God's pursuit of you. He has been gracious and patient. He's been sending people, just random people that you meet, that you just meet, 
or family members or kind of whatever he's been sending people to help you see and know his grace but you keep resisting you keep making excuses you're like not now just not in the time of my life to commit my life to this gracious God and fully no not now I'll do it later when I'm like 50 years uh, you know you're making excuses you're not willing to stop living your life your way and start living your life based on the way of Jesus and so my plea and encouragement you this morning is that may today be the day you quit resisting God and surrender your life to him for real may you surrender to the gracious and patient God who has been pursuing you Though God demonstrates outrageous grace and patience, his patience will not last forever. Persistent rebellion will result in judgment. For some of us, we can be likened to the servants in this story. Yeah, you know, you're a Jesus follower. You believe Jesus is truly the savior of the world. You have tasted of God's grace and mercy and you identify yourself with Jesus Christ and your whole life, which is amazing, your whole life is centered around knowing Jesus and making him known as a member of this church or a member of whatever church that you've been called to you're committed to making and maturing disciples of Jesus you want those who don't know him to know him but you have and you will come across people that continue to resist and reject Jesus they keep saying no they keep thinking you're weird they keep resisting and it's super hard it's super discouraging to keep on loving them to keep on sharing the love of Christ it's just super discouraging and sometimes you you, you just want to give up you're like they, they're just not going to change it's impossible no matter how far a person runs from God God will not stop running after them and we're called to do the same. Let's not give up on that person who has been resisting. 
let's have faith let's be reminded of god's radical devotion to pursuing the ones he loves and that includes us and let that motivate us and encourage us to keep on sharing the love of christ and to keep on sharing jesus let's pray God, there is so much in this passage that we have been exposed to. I have done my best to apply these truths to the hearts of those who are listening. God, I I can only do so much cannot change anyone with this message only you can and so as we transition to communion and singing about who you are continue to do the work in the hearts of people that you've been doing and that is to reveal who you are more and more specifically your grace and your patience your grace and your patience may we all experience it in a fresh and new way this morning and throughout this week in a way that blows our minds and changes the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.